Hi, it's Dan Class of The Bitterest Pill, obviously. Uh, in the wake of the recent uh, tragedy in Aurora, Colorado, I, have, uh, I am releasing to you here a very, very old episode of The Bitterest Pill. I believe it's number 102, entitled Massive Murder. I don't think the story that, you know, has instigated the, the re-release is until the very, very end. But uh, my heart goes out to the families of the victims and the victims of this insane, insane preventable tragedy. Um, words cannot describe, but here is my attempt. I hope to speak to you soon. Uh, now on with the old show. Maybe this is the answer then. You know what? If you want to buy a gun and you want to buy it legally, you got to go through the DMV. My daddy may now make an announcement. Yeah. Hi. So, <sighs> yeah, it's been a while since uh, I've been busy. You know, I've been busy uh, with life, though. How is it that life can be so busy? Normal, just everyday things can just become so much. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just getting up and making lunches, making breakfasts, brushing teeth, combing hair. See, the problem, though, is, I guess, is, um, you know, I'm making lunches and breakfasts and brushing teeth and combing hair and uh, for th three people, sometimes, depending on how busy my wife is. Sometimes only two. Most of the time, it feels like five, it's seven. It sometimes feels like seven separate people are being maintained by me. Now, I know it's obviously not true, but if uh, even one person in our family, the four of us, wasn't such a slob, I think everything else would be just fine, don't you? But what happened was, um, you know, uh, Hudson was on spring break a couple weeks ago, and we happened to be standing in the front lawn of one of our neighbors and in this uh, you know i'm talking to the mom you know talking to the mom the mom is kind of a stage mom and when i say kind of a stage mom she's completely a stage mom they have two sons and they both act rather successfully you know eight years old and maybe 12 or 13 years old and the one son's been in this movie and that movie and the other son's been in this movie and it's not soul crushing for me at all that hudson's friend and his brother work more than I. It's, it, honestly, it is not uh, soul crushing for me whatsoever that they are going out all the time. But, so what? But see, the mom knows that I uh, still audition for commercials. So whenever I see her, we typically, eventually, ultimately, get into the conversation of so how you know how's it going? You've been going out a lot, and that means if you've been going out on auditions a lot, and uh, I always know. That I'm not, not as much as the boys, not even as much as one of the boys. So I saw her at spring 
break, like I say, we're in the front yard. Hey, how's it, you know, you've been going out a lot? And I say, no. And, and at the time it was the truth. No, it's been really quiet. But I kind of like it because, you know, I can at least, you know, have my life. Famous last words. Uh, uh, this This week in particular has been nothing but pressing shirts and rushing out the door with his own bar in my hand, uh, going to, you know, whatever. And most of the time when I go out on these auditions, you know, here's the thing. You know, I I, I record these shows. And uh, I put my little websites together. Or what, and I always claim to be a failed uh, actor. And the truth is, I, you know why I say that? Because it sounds worse than the truth. And to me, sounding worse than the truth is funnier or somehow more endearing than uh, being truthful. Because if I was, hey, you know, here I am uh, recording in my rather expensive Los Angeles home. I'm a professional actor. And my lawn is incredibly green, ladies and gentlemen. Dankly. You know, it's not the same as how I feel, which is, hi, I'm bald and a loser. I'm sitting in my garage and I have... Um, Really, my creative outlets, my professional aspirations have been reduced to recording myself in my garage like I'm Rupert Pupkin pretending to interview Liza Minnelli. See how that sometimes it has some sort of more entertaining slant to it. Okay, where was I going with this? So yeah, basically, I've done nothing but audition all week or maybe even two weeks. My continuous run uh, basically and i love it i basically audition for white collar uh you know sphincters i love playing auditioning for being cast as white collar sphincters love it love it so right now i'm waiting to hear if i'm going to be in a commercial i'm hoping because i had two I had two, yesterday was a weird day. Let me tell you about yesterday. And that's what I want to mostly talk about t uh, today. I want to talk mostly about yesterday. And then, uh, you know, I'm going to tell a story that I've actually told on this show twice already, but they've never been put out into the world because for technical reasons, they've always been ruined. So we'll see how it goes here today. Kind of inspired to tell it uh, because of the recent Virginia Tech, uh, you know, d debacle. So yesterday, oh, so yesterday, um, I had two auditions and I was on a TV show. See, long, long ago, remember, uh, you know, I wrote this book with Michael Gohagen. You know, Michael Gohagen, I wrote this book with Michael Gohagen, this book called Podcast Solutions. And every once in a while, either Michael or myself would uh, arrange for some sort of publicity or we'd get called or mentioned or whatever, some newspaper, TV show, or, you know, and, um, and then ages ago, through some weird kind of happenstance, oh, that's what it was. I, I, I sent a note or a book or something to this friend of mine from college, this guy, Rich Goldner. And I knew Rich from the radio station, very funny guy. And he came to L.A. and he became a big hotshot in the news world, you know. I think he's like the boss of the news on the Channel 5 News. Channel 5 or Channel 11, maybe it's Channel 11. Sorry, man, but I can't remember which is which right now. I'm not a TiVo, man. So... So I basically, so what happened was I sent Rich a book and a little note like, hey, you know, ha, 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 uh, if you ever need a podcasting, uh, you know, whatever, or you need to know anything about it. And this was, you know, a year and a half ago. Give me a call. 
And then I ended up running into Rich and his girlfriend at a Chinese restaurant in my part of the woods. Like, holy cow, there's Rich. Rich and his girlfriend. Do you remember any of this? Yeah. Then, so Rich, nice guy, Rich Goldner, has Mr. Gohagen and I go over and we are on the cyber guy thing. Do you, guys, do you have the cyber guy where you live, Americans? There's this guy, he's the cyber guy, and he's syndicated on all the WB channels. So it must be Channel 5. Do we still even have WB? Is that one of them that is now the CPU? C-U-T? C-U-P-C? What the, what's that new channel? We got a new network. It's two old networks. <sighs> I don't know. I recently saw a thing where the you know one network had 14 million viewers and the other network had like 13 and a half and they thought they'd get together. And now uh, you know the combined network uh, has has about uh, 13 million. Well done. Anyway, so so Rich has us uh, go. We tape our little cyber guy thing. You know, a couple deer in the headlights, and it airs. But I don't know when it's going to air. See. I don't know. And the producer guy, he never called me. He never told me when it was going to air. And I'm walking around going, hey, I wonder when this is going to air. And then one night, I don't know if you remember this, but I run into Rich Goldner again and his girlfriend again, this time at the farmer's market, waiting to uh, meet Lance Anderson and go to the Apple store and talk about podcasting. So I run into Rich and his girlfriend and they say, hey, uh, Rich says, hey, it's going to be on tomorrow. You remember this? How like bizarre it was. It was Rich. There's Rich right there and his girlfriend, and it's show, it's on it's on nationwide cyber guy tomorrow. Okay. So we did the TV. So, you know, I always had it in my mind. Like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind doing a, a, another one of those. I guess it was kind of fun, kind of uh, fast. And, um, you know, if I can't do that, then I really ought to shoot myself. You know what I mean? If I can't just sit in a chair and talk for... Uh, 30 seconds about podcasting. Honestly, I think it's time to move to Ohio. So, yeah. So, so Lance Anderson, speaking of Lance, he, he, I guess he sent me an email and it said, Hey, you know, Dan, this guy, this TV producer, he's looking for, you know, a podcaster that can maybe do a segment on this TV show. Uh, you, you know, give him a call. So, you know, I give the guy a call or an email or we, we end up getting it. So, so the show and I'm going to put it down at first because it just sounds so crazy. The show's called Living Live, and it's on the retirement channel. Now here I'm thinking, you know, Annie, bro, no, it's the retirement. Did you even, have you, right? There's a retirement channel? Well, apparently there's this dude, I was going to write down his name, I forgot, but there's this guy, let's say there's this guy, and he makes millions of kajillions of bobillion, a nillion, affinity dollars building retirement homes. And this guy, you know, he's, he's one of those guys, you know, one of those guys that has uh, boundless energy, enthusiasm. I've seen a picture of him, and he was in a karate outfit. He's one of these guys, right? But he's an older gentleman. But I guess he made a, an, a Google uh, dollars, he's a Google heir. And he, he decided to start a TV network. Now, here's where it gets really smart. See, this, these, these are the kind of thoughts that I don't have. He says, hey, I'm going to start a TV network called the Retirement Living Channel, and I'm going to air it, see, in all my retirement homes. And any time that we don't sell on the channel, guess who I will advertise? My retirement communities. 
So the stinking genius guy has this uh, retirement channel thing, and I'm going to be on Live and Live. Now, Live and Live is hosted by Meshack Taylor of Designing Women and Florence Henderson. Florence Henderson, my surrogate, not surrogate mother, but my, like, um, you know, because my mother was a mother. My mother was definitely, I was well mothered to the point where kind of a mama's boy, a little bit, uh, but definitely my second mom, maybe my annex mom, auxiliary mom, Florence Henderson, easily. Listen, if you're my age and you shouldn't be. Uh, Florence Henderson was your other mommy. Mrs. Brady? Are you kidding? Absolutely. Now, granted, you had sort of incestuous feelings for Marsha, but still, you could uh, you could deal with that at that age. So Florence Henderson is uh, the host with Meshack Taylor, a funny guy. He's from Chicago. I haven't seen him in a while. Where's he been? I don't know. Apparently, now, retirement living. So... The thing is, to be on this show, I have to be able to... I'm going to bring my laptop, and i got to plug it in to a video signal, and i got to show them, show them iTunes and how to uh, download podcasts. And they're going to send me questions. And so I say to, to the producer guy, you know what? Don't worry, dude. I'll bring my... It'll be easiest. I don't want to monkey around with your equipment if I have to. You know what I'll do? I'll get a little special plug. I'll plug my laptop into a video... F- line there at the studio good to go my daughter and i go to the apple store hi i've got an ibook it's 14 inch i need to plug it in oh this is what you need it's are you sure sure am buddy give me your credit card sure thing swipe and out i go but i don't have the laptop see my wife has the laptop melissa has the laptop because she needs to have the laptop because what she does with the laptop is she takes it to work so when she's in a boring meeting she can, uh, I am her friends sitting across the table, uh, uh, funny stories. Is that what you do in your meetings? Cause I'm pretty sure that's what my wife does. No, listen, I don't know this for a fact. Okay. I'm going to build a, a slight, uh, you know, uh, plausible deniability here, but I'm pretty sure well, I mean, why else would my wife, who is obviously not going to start laying out a storyboard or a billboard or an ad, what, what does she need the laptop for? I think she's, I think she's IMing her friends during uh, conference calls. I think that's why everybody has these smartphones and, uh, you know, iChat and all that stuff. I've gotten, I've, I guess I've been sitting at my desk and all of a sudden I'll get a bloop from my brother. Am I going to, uh, from, from my brother, I'll just say my brother. My, my fictional, I have no, bro, my fictional brother. I'll be sitting at my desk like, bloop, and I'll be from my brother. And my brother, are you with me? I don't have a brother. My brother, who works for a big company, is IMing me. Like, oh, hey, dude, how's it going? What are you doing? I'm in a boring meeting. <laughs> nice. Nice. Anyway, where were we? So, Okay, so I have to, uh, what happens is I have to wait for Melissa to get back to plug the iBook into the television because I really honestly do not want to show up there and have to use one of their Windows machines. Nothing against Windows. I just don't know what to do. I, I don't want there to be any confusion while they're rolling tape and Meshack Taylor's looking at me, waiting for me to explain to Florence Henderson how you download a podcast on iTunes. And I'm like, I don't know, because what's this start button do? Is this the darn Vista again? I don't, I don't need that, man. 
So by the time my wife, you know, Melissa, my wife, by the time Melissa gets home, you know, I mean, uh, you know, there's already blood sugar issues with me not having eaten. Hudson and I finally ate, I think, before she got home. And then Hudson, you know, because I have so much going on, I'm so busy, you know, because you got to do laundry, you got to straighten up, I got to clean up after them, all that stuff. He guilts me into playing Monopoly because I've been putting him off all day. So I really feel, I do feel legitimate. So we play a little kitty Monopoly. You know what I mean? You don't buy boardwalk here uh, at a, an amusement park, something like that. I don't know. I'm half folding laundry, half playing Monopoly, and I think half watching uh, American Idol or something. I don't know. So I finally remember at 8.40 p.m. the night before the show that I should probably plug the thing into the iBook and see if it works. Now, the guy has said to me, yeah, you know, there's a thing. It, just, it looks like a... Headphone jack, that's the thing. It's like an AV jack. And I, oh, I know what an AV jack is. That's on all the cameras, the video cameras. Yeah, you plug in thing. It looks like a stereo plug, but it's not. It's got three, and it comes out with a thing. And there's white, there's red, and there's yellow. And then you plug it in, you're good to go. Guess what? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Ring, ring. Hello, Apple Store. When do you close? Nine o'clock. About 10 minutes, the guy says. Now, I'm 15 minutes from the nearest Apple store, and they close in 10 minutes. And I don't want Meshach Taylor. Okay. I grab the iBook and my keys. I race out the door. Melissa wishes me good luck, not expecting me to get there on time, and I race. Race, 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 and I'm racing, and I'm racing, and I'm racing, and there's a cop car. Why is there, why, you know, when you want the cops, you can never find the cops. When you want the cops, you know, there's a Sunni guy and a Shiite guy running down the street and one of them's got a gun pointed at the other one and you're just trying to move your ficus tree out of your apartment. Where's the cops then? Where? When they're stealing your Volkswagen convertible that the back seat is full of, uh, you know, traffic school vouchers that you're going to have to pay the traffic school that you work for for if someone steal like when they're stealing that car full of traffic school vouchers, where are the cops then? I don't know. You can only find cops if you're peacefully protesting uh, May Day or if you're trying to get to the Apple store in 10 minutes. So I'm in a hurry, and of course now the cops are right in front of me. They're going to know if I'm speeding. They're going to pull me over. I don't want to get pulled over. I've got 10 minutes to make a 15-minute trip. I race, I race, I race, I turn, I turn, I squeal. I'm like Starsky, I'm like Hutch. I pull in, I stop, I jump, I run. And they're not open. There's dudes in there. A couple of ladies. There's all the cardboard cutouts in the front of the window grinning at me. All the hip Apple training cardboard cutout foam core people. So I get on the phone. I call Best Buy. We close at 9. I call Target. They're open. But just as I'm hearing, the Target is open till 10. Now, Target, Target, who's not going to have a mini VGA to RCA adapter for me. Sorry, they're not going to have it. 
the guy manning the door, ushering everybody out, said, oh, are you the guy that called about the, uh, the video thing? Yes. Hey, can we take care of the guy? It's the thing that's right up there. Can we, uh, can he just come in for a thing? Okay. They let me in. The people at the Apple Store, Manhattan Beach Village, Manhattan Village, Manhattan Beach, California, let me in at 9.01, and they sold me the proper connector. The connector that looked like the one that I used to use when I would go to the Apple Store, you know, after seeing Rich Goldner, and then I'd go to the Apple Store, and then JB would hook up with this weird-looking thing, and I would always say, should I buy one of those? And JB would say, nah, we've always got them here. That thing, it looked just like that. So now, while I'm fretting about the show, making sure I think maybe I know what to wear. See, I never know what to wear on these things because I just never know what to wear on these things. This one I've come as any shock to you. I ultimately wore my corduroy jacket because it's my goy goy. It's my safety blanket. It's a little blue flannel thing that I drag around like Linus. I was going to wear a nice shirt, and I pressed it. I spent all this time pressing the shirt, and then in the morning I was like, you know, I gotta, I, I'm just going to put on one of my new nerd shirts that Melissa bought, and my plaid nerd bought it at Target, but it has a Massimo label on it, shirts, and my corduroy jacket. Because now I'm freaking out because my agent keeps calling, and I now have two callbacks the same morning. Like pre-noon as this silly TV show. The TV show is I was like 8.15 to 10, and then maybe 10.15. And then the first callback's at 11, but the second callback's at 12. And they're not in the same building. And callbacks always run late. Because that's when they're really trying to decide who's going to do what in what role in the commercial. So, <laughs> so as soon as I get out of the show, I've got to somehow get to from... One part of Santa Monica, luckily, it's all at least in the same town. One, the south part of Santa Monica, up to kind of you know the uh, you know where we go to Hooters part. I mean, the the place where I'm going to first is right upstairs from Hooters. Everybody knows where that place is. Trust me. If you haven't heard me talk about Hooters, never been to Hooters. I like Hooters. Although last time I was walking past Hooters, I saw a girl with a Hooters T-shirt who. Like, I always imagine Hooters girls uh, to be kind of bimbo-y, blonde, or brunette, but just like, <laughs> you know, like, please don't talk, that kind of girl. Please don't talk. Just let me look at you, but don't speak, please. You'll ruin everything. But this girl had really dark kind of curly hair and glasses. See, a Hooters girl with glasses uh, may be my Achilles heel, may be my kryptonite. But I digress. So, so I get out of the TV show. Now, first of all, Florence Henderson it, it wasn't, it wasn't even there. Florence Henderson is quote unquote on assignment. I don't know what that means. I don't know if she's in Nolans. I, I don't know. Where, where do you send Florence Henderson on assignment uh, to, to the 70s? When I go down there, I want Florence Henderson. Now, Susan Blakely was filling in. And, uh, you know, Susan Blakely, although I don't... Um, you know, have the same kind of she's my mom thing. Uh, yeah, she's hot. So, so I do my thing. I'm explaining podcasting to Susan Blakely and Meshach Taylor. And, uh, well, no, 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 let me back up. 
So I show up. I'm very proud of my Apple thing. I got my Apple thing so we can connect to their big screen. It's all everything. Everything's going as planned. I've got my iBook and I set it up and I plug in the thing and then we're testing it. And as we're testing and kind of figuring out this woman comes by. This small, kind of dark-haired, attractive woman. And I hear her, she's like, she's behind a couple of people, and I hear her say, is Dan Class here? Now, that's not that uncommon because everyone's expecting some guy named Dan Class. 50,000 people, since I walked in the building, have said, are you Dan Class? Because my name, I'm in the G segment, you see, or the E segment. They've got the A, the B, the D, I'm the E segment. So everybody's looking for Dan, Dan Class, the E segment. So this, so this woman says, is Dan Class here? And I kind of look up and go, hi, I'm Dan Class. She says, hey, I'm Rich Goldner's girlfriend. Now, I don't know if Rich and his girlfriend are stalking me by stalking me and then running up in front so it kind of looks like I'm following them or this is some weird coincidence. Yeah. I'm at the show and I'm preparing I'm getting, and a woman comes up hi, it's me, Rich Goldner's girlfriend. And I think she's the, the director of the show. Now listen, Tinseltown is teeny, but is it really that tiny? I mean, that's bizarre, right? I see them and then I see them like, so I'm going to see here, uh, you know, probably Tuesday. Tuesday, I'll be at uh, gymnastics, and for some reason, there will be Rich and his girlfriend. It's the it's the most bizarre thing ever. So Rich Goldner's girlfriend, she you know she's the director, and we do our thing. We, it goes great. We you know it wasn't perfect. There were some things we were going to talk about. I was going to show them some iPods. We didn't have time because you know we're chatting. I'm talking about Doctor Floyd and uh, all this stuff and foreign languages and Mishak, and you know. So now I got to race up to Santa Monica. To the first audition. But see, I think I'm going to get out of there because they keep telling me I'm going to be out of their way like 10, 15 at the latest. So my brain just keeps saying, well, whenever I leave, it's going to be 10, 15 or earlier. That's 45 minutes to get to the other part of Santa Monica. That's plenty of time. Plenty of time to get there before 11. But I finally get back to my car. And it's 10, 45. It's 1045 and I'm in the wrong clothes. It's 1045, I'm in the wrong clothes and I'm nowhere near the audition. And I got to get to this audition on time because it's it's Rocky's audition. You know Rocky, the director? The one that Hudson and I uh, auditioned for? CSI, Dead Body, Rocky? Yeah, it's one of Rocky's spots. I, I cannot be late for Rocky. I want to work with Rocky. So I race, I race race out of the parking lot and I race out onto the main street and I take a right, take a, take a left and I zoom. I'm zooming up there and I'm zooming out and I realize, well, wait a minute, if I go straight, this is perfect. I'm going to go straight. I'm going to turn here. I'm going to be on 4th Street and I'm on 4th Street and I got to get up to Santa Monica. And uh, I, I go up Santa Monica and I pass Santa Monica because I want to park just past Santa Monica and I see that there's a big sign outside the parking structure that I'm going to park in. It's going to be perfect because I can just walk from there. It's going to be really fast. I'm going to get there on time and the big sign outside the parking structure says, full. The big parking structure is full. It's full. How a six, seven story parking structure can be full on a Wednesday at 11 o'clock in the morning in Santa Monica is absolutely beyond me. Except that there is no parking in Santa Monica. Why do they keep having these audition things in Santa Monica with all these actors converging onto Santa Monica that's already full? I, it is beyond me. Mimi, I love you, but I don't know why you're doing this to me. So, 
I'm going up 4th Street. I'm going up 4th Street. I pass Santa Monica Boulevard. I'm looking to turn left. The sign says full. So now I got to go up to the next street. I don't know what it's called. All I know is I got to pull a U-turn. I got to pull a U-turn. The light is green. Nobody's coming. There's a woman on the sidewalk. Is she paying attention? Because I'm pulling a U-turn and she's not paying attention. And the next thing you know, I almost run over Marissa Tomei. For some reason, Marissa Tomei decides to walk right out in front of me when I am obviously pulling a U-turn. But I'm in such a hurry, I'm so focused on my intention of getting to the audition on time, but always, always, always focused on checking out attractive brunettes walking down the street in summer dresses, I am absolutely torn between getting to the audition on time and maybe hitting her and then getting to know her a little bit. You know, I've been Seinfeld damaged. I have this thing. Maybe, you know, I'm bald. I got glasses. They, they did that whole shtick. Maybe it's true. Maybe, maybe Marissa Tomei really does like small guys who are kind of bald and kind of funny in their own kind of uh, weird psychotic ways. I'm just thinking, you know, if I hit Marissa Tomei, maybe it won't be all bad. Except, of course, the part where I will have run over a a celebrity and I'm married and I'm not going to get to the audition and she'll probably hate me for running her over. But aside from all that, let's not get hung up on those details. I might actually be able to say something like, oh, I'm sorry, to, to, to Marissa Tomei. So I turn, I almost hit Marissa Tomei. She kind of, you know. She's not paying attention because obviously she shouldn't if, – if it's safe for me to pull a U-turn, she shouldn't be crossing that way. She wasn't you, – you, you know, she had the red guy, not the hand. She had the – or she had the red – whatever's red in Santa Monica. I don't know if it's a hand or a red person walking. And there's beeping for deaf people. I mean it's very clear when you should not be pulling out, uh, uh, you know, walking in the street where I'm pulling a U-turn and you're in a, a sundress. This is all very clear. But I've pulled a U-turn because I don't want to get too far from the audition, but, see, uh, the lot's full. So I go to this little lot that um, is $3 every 15 minutes. Now, doesn't that sound like, hmm, a lot of money? And I kind of love how they do that. I love how they're like, wow, you know, the first 15 minutes is Three dollars or six? What did I say? Three dollars, six dollars, whatever it is. And then the second fifteen minutes is six dollars. But then there's a twelve dollar. You know, we're paying twelve dollars. Just say it. Just say park here for twelve bucks. Who's gonna park at the Burke Williams Spa for fifteen minutes or less? Unless they're giving happy endings down there, I I just don't see it. Don't you go down there and sit for have a spritz and a massage, a rub down, a colonic. I don't know what they're doing. It's got to take more than 15 minutes. It's ridiculous. You're charging me $12 to park. Just let's just get that out in the open. So I go down there. There's this very smiley guy down there. I'm sure he's only been here in the country 20 minutes. And I give him my car and I run. I grab my suit and I run and uh, and I go upstairs and I change. And I'm waiting to audition. And then I go in. And I, when I go in, the other, one of the, the other two actors is this girl from Cyber Chase. Now, Cyber Chase is this cartoon Hudson and I used to watch every single day when he would get home from preschool. 
it's a cartoon. It's on PBS, and they it's these kids. Uh, how do you explain it? You know, they're inside the internet. Do you know, you know what I mean? They're kind of like uh, inside the internet, and they're always trying to foil the evil plans of hacker Christopher Lloyd hacker. And they've got a parrot, and it's uh, Gilbert Gottfried, and they they learn a lot of math and proportions and geometry and uh, logic and all. It's a great for a three year old especially. It's an awesome show. Hudson learned a lot, but then afterwards, they do this thing like cyber chase, you know, for real or in real or I don't know what it is, where they have you know live action footage. And here's the girl from Cyber, Ch- and I'm and so so through the whole audition. I'm kind of like doing my thing or whatever, but I'm also thinking, that's the girl from Cyber Chase. What is she doing here? Pretending to be a, like a airline ticket taking person thing girl. Shouldn't she be somewhere shooting a, an experiment? But afterwards I said, told her, hey, you know, my kid loves you. We watch you every day. Oh, my God. He learned so much. He's like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, I have to go to my day job. <laughs> See, that's what they don't tell you when you're not here. When, they, when, when you're not here, when you don't live here, that's what they don't tell you. That there are people on TV you recognize from TV that are going to serve you soup while you're here in town. They're going to get you an extra basket of bread and a refill on your Coke. Because unless you're a regular on a TV show or something like that, you got another gig. You got you got two gigs. You got three gigs. You're waiting tables. You're serving drinks. You're dancing down at the airport. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know, but you got to have something else going, especially that PBS money. It's nowhere, man. So, see, here's here's the thing. We're we're switching uh, gears now. See, okay. So, <clears throat> I know I've I've done one of these shows since the Virginia Tech uh, massacre, and uh, yeah, I'm going to bring it down now. If I had an accompanist, accompanist, I would uh, you know you know I'd have I'd have him bring him down, bring it down now. You know, some mellow piano. You know what I'm saying? Dim the lights. Because I'm going to get depressive now. Depressing. And, uh... No, not really. But... Somebody brought up on some TV show... And it comes up a lot when these things happen. But... You you know, why... Why do they have... Why does a guy like show... uh, Whatever his name is. I've got an itchy nose. Excuse me. Why does somebody like show just go stinky nuts? Is it, it's so many things that we need to deal with as a country. One of the, one of the contributing factors clearly is there are, we're very rich. Listen, we're very rich. I know you don't feel it, but we're very rich. And worse yet, there are always going to be people around richer than you. See, you're doing very well. There's always someone who's going to have more 
than you. And we go about our lives and we keep trying to keep up with fashion and technology and all the trends and everything. And it's great. And we're, we've got a big screen TV and a great new car. And we're kind of feeling like our adequacy is, is, is on display based on what we own and how good our lawn looks. And our hair is trimmed by a guy that charges a hundred bucks. But the truth is it's not. And the real truth is there's always someone around who has more than you. And they're gonna Show it. Because what's the point of having a lot of cash if you're not going to flaunt it? What's the point of being rich if you can't send your daughter to college with a lot of expensive stuff? And what's the use of being a pretty rich girl or a handsome rich guy if you can't treat other people like they're dirt? Right? So so basically we have this entire country of semi-wealthy to wealthy adolescents going to college driving each other crazy. Now, add into that a little, well, you know, we used to call it psychosis. I mean, that's the thing that one never gets into. What was wrong with this guy? He obviously was nuts. Now, by his rambling, it sounded like he was maybe pushed over the edge by just the, the, I mean, everywhere I go, there's a new building going up. Everywhere I go, there's a big corporate franchise sign going up looming over me telling me if that if i don't stop eating where i used to eat and start eating here i'm no one you're still eating there no man eat here this is where the people that are happening are eating and apparently if you're on the edge that kind of thing can make you snap but i can't control how crazy people are and neither can you. We can't weed out the crazies. See, I, I, used to, I used to want to weed out the crazies. I used to have this theory, and I'm going to share it with you right now. Because I have to admit, I look around myself quite often, and I think that, you know, I may be one of the few really sane people I know. Like, for as crazy as I think I might be, I think I might actually be one of the sane ones. Okay, so here's the idea. When you elect me president, which would never happen, but when you elect me president, I'm going to immediately establish mandatory door-to-door psychiatric evaluations. Okay? We're going to load up vans with guys in lab coats and Rorschach inkblot tests. The guys are going to go door-to-door and show these ink tests to everybody. And if you don't think it looks like a butterfly or a clown's face in the van... Okay, knock, knock, knock. Hello, ma'am, what's this look like? Really? Death on a sandwich in the van. You understand? Door to door, everybody, yes or no, in the van. Because obviously this guy was going to snap eventually. It's too easy to snap because this country will drive you nuts. Look, your skin isn't perfect enough. Your hair isn't perfect enough. You're not in good enough shape. Your TV is small. Your music player is large. You're a loser. You buy your food at the grocery store. What are you doing? And it's too easy to get... Look, okay. 
it's too easy to get guns. You know it, and I know it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be able to. Uh, look, I stand by the Constitution. Yes, we should have the right to bear arms. But when our founding fathers put that in the Constitution, the, the most complicated weapon uh, of the time was a musket. Listen, I'm all for everybody having a musket. I'll hand them out at the border. I don't care. Because the way I look at it, if you can actually figure out how to load and shoot someone with a musket, you deserve to do it. I don't believe that we have the right to bear military arms. M16s. I I just don't see it's necessary for anyone. Those idiots that try to claim that it's for... No, I don't think so. It's too easy to get guns. It's too easy to get guns. It's easier to get a, a gun than it is to get a driver's license. Seriously. If you know what, this is maybe this is the answer then. You know what? If you want to buy a gun and you want to buy it legally, you got to go through the DMV. Right? You want a gun, you got to go, right? Cuz you'll have people walking in there and seeing that line and go, "You know what? Forget it. I'll stab people. I don't need this." Maybe I'll go back on my meds. I don't know. See, I got married in 19, I don't know, 92. My wife and I just had an anniversary, too. That was one thing we were doing. My wife and I, lovely Melissa, have been married for uh, 14 glorious years. So 14 years ago, we got married. And, you know, there were a lot of people there that we don't, have anything to do with anymore just you know your work changes you know what i mean like she doesn't work with those people anymore i never see those people that i used to work with anymore um but family's there and you know this one's divorced and this one's divorced that's true that's true but you know and we have lost we had lost before then you know this uncle and you know most of them and i had a lot of grandparents i think only my grandfather was still living at that time but um, you know, my cousin, like you know, cousin Ronnie was there with his wife. Cousin Chris couldn't make it. Um, my uncle Mike was there, who isn't really my uncle. He's my mom's cousin, but he's my mom's age. You know, you, you, you do that because we kind of do that now with Chris and Ronnie, their uncle. It confuses my parents, but we refer to Chris like, "Hey, Chris," as Uncle Chris. It's just like you know. You can't explain to a four-year-old that Chris is my, you know, never mind. So, uh, you know, quote unquote, Uncle Mike was there. And, uh, you know, my Uncle Bob and blah, blah, blah. But my Uncle Mike, you know, it was kind of, it, it was huge for my mom that he was there because my mother's brother died when he was only, I think, 32. And he died of patriot, <laughs> I almost said patriotic cancer. <laughs> I think we're all dying of patriotic cancer right now. Pancreatic? Is that how you say it, doctor? Okay. Patri- I got to write patriotic cancer. Maybe that's the name of my, my new liberal talk show. Um, <laughs> so my whole life, I thought I was going to be dead by the time I was 32 because I knew, you know, a little bit about genetics and my uncle was gone. You know what I mean? So with Uncle Dwayne dying so long ago, and, you know, my Uncle Mike and my mom were always close, but he just, you know, it was more important even that he was there. And he was there with his wife, and they had just adopted a couple of kids, I think. And just, you know, it was all going great. 
So, um, yeah, we got married and it was great and it was great and it was great. And then I got a phone call one morning. I wasn't, I had just stopped because I was working at Universal Studios then doing office work for different productions and a show had just ended. I think it was a show called, uh, it was originally called, and, I, and I'm not making this up. The show was originally called Tequila and Boner. I'm going to let that, yeah. Okay. The show was originally called, I swear to you, Tequila and Boner. Now, it was created by the guy who created Quantum Leap. Remember that show? Don Ballas. Don Ballas. <laughs> Don Balasario. Man, I'm drunk. Um, and, you know, Quantum Leap is doing so well at the time that they actually, the networks actually bought and put into production a series called Tequila and Boner. But actually, by the time the pilot was done and they saw how bad it was, they changed the name. They, they fired the lead actor. They hired another actor who was kind of an Italian guy. Now it's Tequila and Bonetti. For all I know, Bonetti is Italian for Boner. But Tequila and Boner and Eddie had just finished up. And so I was kind of between... Uh, gigs and and Universal called and said, "Hey, listen, you know this woman that we know that you've worked with before is leaving a show. It's a movie. Do you want to take over for her on uh you know this movie? I'll tell you what movie it is. It doesn't matter. It was Mighty Ducks two. Wow, really? I get to work on Mighty Ducks two? I'll be right over. So I go to work at, on Mighty Ducks two, and it was kind of interesting at first. Uh, you know." Uh, like the guy that wrote it was from Rochester, which I thought was kind of cool until I found out that he was kind of a dork. And when I say dork, that's not really the word I want to say, but I'm trying to keep it clean because he wasn't a dork. He seemed like kind of a cool guy who thought uh, it was way beneath him to, to, to discuss anything with me. Oh, sorry, dude. Oh, I see. You know Sandler. And so you can't. Okay, that's cool. Uh, I hope you dropped it. And uh, Penelope Spheres' daughter. Hello. What happened? Oh, that was freaky. Did you hear that? That was freaky. Penelope Spheres' daughter. You know, Penelope, she works, she, who cares? Anyway, the point is this. I was terrible at the job. I was not fit to hold the job. I did not know what I was doing. And the production was plagued. People were getting fired, 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 right and left, fired. And it's one of those things where, and I don't know if the people at the top are too young, they're too inexperienced, they're too experienced... But they were, it was, it was hell. It was hell. And so I, I keep thinking that I maybe want to quit or something. So every day I go and I'm like, I got to just, I got to just figure this. I got to figure this out. Don't quit, man. Don't quit, man. Don't quit, man. You can't do this. You just got married. You need the dough. And then one evening I get a phone call from my mother. Now, I didn't have a cell phone. Maybe she paged me. This was back in the pager days. No, I wouldn't even. Yeah, I had a pager. And my mom had that weird sound in her voice. That sound in her voice I hadn't heard, I think, since my grandfather died. My grandfather. See, her father, I told you this, was kind of a jerk. I'm going to admit that. And that's what scares me about myself. I think I get all my sphincterness from my biological grandfather, Leo. But Leo had made nice, nice when I was a senior in high school. He made nice, nice with my mom and dad and 
all of Dwayne's kids. We all went out to San Bernardino and we met him. And then when I, right before my senior prom, I think I feel like I just told you this, but right before my senior prom, uh, he died in a car crash. I've always wondered if it was a self-inflicted car crash. But that was the tone of voice. Mom, what's wrong? Uncle Mike was shot. What are you talking about? Danny, Uncle Mike was shot. He was killed. A bunch of people were killed up in San Francisco. Um, we're going to go up there um, tomorrow. The funeral is tomorrow or the next day. Well, I, uh, 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 I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that my mom is wrecked and I, I really have to go up there. And I really need to be with my mom because I think this is it for her family. They're all gone now, except my mom. So I go into the producers of Mighty Ducks 2 and I say to them, hey, listen, this is going to sound weird or whatever. I got. I need a couple of days off. I got to go to San Francisco. A family member. You know. What do they say? No, that's fine. That's great. In fact, um, don't bother coming back. I think that'll work out perfectly. So I went up to San Francisco, and it was still on the news. What had happened was a nut, a crazy person had a beef with a law firm that Uncle Mike worked for. Now, he was not an attorney, I don't think. But he had a beef with someone there. And so he loaded up a couple of M16s and went in. Killing eight people, wounding I don't know how many. At the time, it was the biggest mass murder in the history of San Francisco. And it was still on the news, constantly on the news. In every news report, they had to mention everybody by name. And they kept calling Uncle Mike Donald because that was his real name. His real name was Donald. 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 They keep calling him Donald. Donald Merrill. Donald Merrill. Donald. It was not. It was Uncle Mike. Stop saying that. And among the dead, Donald Merrill. Stop saying it stop it but we go to the funeral all swollen eyed my mother myself my father tell you the truth i don't really remember i'm sure my sister was there my uh, melissa may have even been there i just remember getting out of my dad's big huge american car and walking with my arm around my mom. And across the street, and in the next building, because we're, we're at the funeral home or wherever, I don't even know where we were. No, it would have been the, you know, like a chapel maybe? I don't honestly know where we were. Because all I saw was 
news vans. Newscasters, news cameramen, lights, reports being filed, interviews being requested. As my mom is walking into Uncle Mike's funeral. Uncle Mike's funeral isn't news. Uncle Mike's funeral is a time of grieving and of remembrance, of honoring a good man, a good father, a fascinating human being full of life and love. A man who, if you met him, you'd really kind of wonder what was wrong with him because there didn't seem to be anything evil about him at all. He was never even sarcastic or ironic. He was like the, the like the uh, the archetype of the hippie made good. A peace loving, fun loving guy. He taught himself piano by ear. He was just he was always so sweet and so supportive of everyone. And we're going into his funeral. This is not the news. I wanted to scream. I wanted to yell and stomp my feet and point my fingers. I wanted to burst into flames. I wanted to throw fire. I wanted to scream with the sound and the fury of all hell, shattering minivans and microphones, tungsten lights, blow-dried hairdos, And the next thing I know, I'm sitting in the funeral. I'm just thanking God that I wore sunglasses. Because it was different then, and I have not been to that many funerals. But it wasn't like my grandfather's funeral many years later. My grandfather, Ducky, passed away probably nine years ago. Now, Ducky was uh, on my dad's side of the family. So he's, you know, Ronnie's grandfather, Chris's grandfather. Not our biological grandfather, but our real grandfather. The guy who would have kicked anyone's ass for us and for our fathers. Who was a man in a riot and a Steelers Pirates fan forever. He was our grandfather. Well, when we were at our grandfather's funeral, Ronnie and I were in the back making jokes the whole time with Rob, our other cousin. Because that's what he would have wanted. We were we were just like, I ah, remember we were we we had fireworks and the Coors cans, and, we, and Uncle Bob would stick the fireworks in there, and Ducky would come out. No, 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 no. Because because that was a time of remembering a life lived in his way. We were sorry to see him go, but but he had done it. He had he had ridden the whole ride from start to end. But Mike was different. Mike was still. You'd still call him a young man. He had young kids. And a newish wife. He hadn't ridden the full ride. The ride was stopped and he was thrown off. Thrown off. From the top down. My sister and I, a couple days later, took the Bart into the city from my parents' house in Alamo into San Francisco to go to the kind of public memorial for everybody. 
for all of the victims. And it was supposed to be at such and such a church, and we got there and nobody was there. They had been moved to a much larger location down in the Embarcadero area of San Francisco. And I remember standing there with my lovely young sister, Karen, and thinking, wow, you know, I mean, I've seen these things on TV. I've seen them in movies. Maybe I've even walked by them, walking the streets of New York or driven by them in Los Angeles. But this, I don't know if I'm waiting for someone to yell, cut. Or change the channel. It's kind of surreal. The guy investigating the crime, the detective on the case, his name was Napoleon Hendricks. Now, that can't be a real person. So maybe this isn't really happening. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, no real human being's name is Napoleon Hendricks, particularly a a detective in San Francisco who's working on a mass murder that cannot possibly be a real person. Napoleon Hendricks is not... That's a character. I'm waiting for Sam Jackson to come out saying, hey, everybody, it's me, Napoleon Hendricks. I'm here to uh, investigate the crime. Where's Paul Giamatti? Let's question him. It can't be real. And it broke up and I'm walking back and I'm hungry and I'm, I need to eat. I don't know where to go. I don't really know San Francisco. My sister lives in San Francisco, I think, at this point, maybe. No, she doesn't. She lives with my parents. We, we're both staying with my parents. But she knows the city, I think. We're walking. We're going to go to get a pizza or something. We're going to get something. I don't know what we're doing. I got to eat something. Don't you understand? And she turns to me and says, Boy, you know, walking here with all these people, I bet the people that pass us think that you and I are together. You know, like a couple. I just wanted to cry right there. Snap my fingers, do that I dream a genie toying thing and make myself disappear. Can I do that? Can I be just for two seconds somebody that can teleport themselves? I don't care if I'm Hero or the guy from Soap. I don't care. I just, I want to snap my fingers and be back in Los Angeles. I, I need to hug my wife. I need to hug my wife. I need to get out of this utterly surreal situation. I, I just saw, I just saw Mike like two months ago. And a month before that, he and I were talking about me doing stand-up. He was going to come and see me. He said, yeah, if you're ever doing stand-up in San Francisco, call me. I'll be there. It's like, wow, that would be so cool to have Uncle Mike see me throw down a little stand-up, but he's not going to do it. And I just want to laugh and cry and scream. And my sister is talking about people thinking that we're dating. Are you so in need of a man in your life that you are actually thinking about this? Where is Uncle Mike? 
This is not the news. It's not. It shouldn't be news. I shouldn't know the name of the guy that did this to those people, to Donald Merrill. I shouldn't know his name. It shouldn't be on the paper. Because that's part of how it happens. That's part of what starts it. See, the news crew shows up. The news crew shows up at Uncle Mike's funeral, covering the death of Donald Merrill. And then some sick little punk sees that on TV. And they're in America, America where you're nobody. You're absolutely nobody unless you're somebody. A thing isn't worth doing unless you do it on TV, right? You're either famous or you're dirt. And if you can't get famous, you might as well get infamous. And so that punk does something horrible, and that begets another punk. And that begets another punk, and that begets two punks in Columbine. That begets, that begets, that begets, that begets. If you can't be famous, you might as well be infamous. And then you get Chow. And he's not the last. He's not the first. He's the least original person that ever lived. How boring. You go into school and shot some people? How dare you? If you're crazy, at least channel it as something creative. And to CBS and NBC and ABC and CNN and Fox and MSNB, E-I-E-I-O, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know you're doing your jobs or you think you are. I know you are, but you got to think. Because just like rampant, unchecked capitalism, rampant, unchecked media coverage is not necessarily healthy for any of us. Because ABC and NBC and Fox and CNN and this and that and 10 other, you know what? You covered Chow or Cho or whatever his name is, but you also made him. You created him. You are Dr. Frankenstein. You know what? The truth is you don't have to air it. You don't have to air the whole thing. You don't have to air the whole thing every single day. You don't. But you got to beat the other guy, so you do. You got to keep up, so you do. And you create Chow and Cho and Steve and Harvey and whoever the heck is going to be next. Because this is America and you got to be famous. And if you can't be famous, you might as well be infamous. Because it's either famous or infamous or they're calling you Donald. This has been The Bitterest Pill. Thank you for listening. To contact Dan Glass by email or blog post, just go to thebitterestpill.com. He won't write you back. Face it. He is a self-absorbed little man. Sorry to have to spell it out, but it's the truth. Or, you can call the show at 206-309-PILO. He says he'll put your voice mail in the show. But you know he'll forget. Call anyway, because I like to occasionally hear a voice other than dance.
For complete information, just go to the website. Thank you. The Bitterest Pill is produced by Jacket Media. JacketMedia.com, makers of fine podcasts since 2004.